Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we'll answer on each podcast as we get our heart and mind on Jesus. All scriptures quoted are from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing. How's everybody doing today? Blessed. Blessed. Amen. Good to hear that. Have you ever been in a scenario where you've been stewing on things for a while? I'm not saying cooking stew. You know, I like stew. Love to eat stew. But we're talking about the kind of stewing that happens inside, in our heart. Uh, maybe things are not going well for you at school. Maybe you expected something to happen, but Things aren't quite going the way you want them to go. Or maybe you're having issues with friends or other close people. Maybe somebody at work is a thorn in your side. You know, you can't get rid of that thorn. Uh, maybe the expenses at home are getting out of hand. Maybe your parents are asking too many questions. <laughs> uh, maybe your kids are aloof and uninterested in what you want them to be interested. Or between husband and wife, maybe your spouse is giving you the cold shoulder for some reason. Different things that happen to us. You're just trying to deal with them. Uh, and you kind of dodge them. You put them to the side. You don't think about them too much. But you're not really giving them to the Lord either. You're sort of trying to kind of dodge it. Kind of like what you do with the dirt. Sometimes sweep it under the rug uh, for a little bit until you look under the rug. And you find that you've been doing that for some time. You're not really giving it to God either. You end up stuffing all these emotions, all these feelings linked to the different thoughts that you have. And they just kind of pile up. And that's what we call stewing. You know, your, might, your face might look okay, but inside you're shaking a little bit. Uh, or you might be like that guy. Maybe you're showing a little bit on your face like this guy is doing. This can be due to not properly dealing with emotions, not knowing how to deal with the different emotions that we go through day to day. Maybe because you're just a young person, you know, you're an adolescent, you're trying to find that balance, you're trying to leave away childhood, but you're not quite an adult yet, so you don't know how to work throughout these emotions, or maybe you just don't know what to do with them at the moment as you're experiencing Sometimes it is that you don't really have time to deal with them because you're rush, rush, rush. You got to go from one thing to another. So you kind of, you know, make a little check, but it's kind of not dealt with. It's still there, right under the surface. Uh, maybe you're embarrassed to talk about them because you feel vulnerable. That's a big one for me. I don't like how I feel when I feel like I have a thorn in my side to whatever it may be due to either somebody or a situation. And it just makes me feel very vulnerable. So I don't like to talk about it. I've learned to talk about it with my wife. God uses her to help me get a better perspective on those things many times. I've learned how to do that. But at the beginning, it was a big pitfall to make me feel vulnerable. I mean, who wants to feel that way? And yet every day we're in different situations that expose that vulnerability. And sometimes this is how we deal with it. You know, we kind of stew on it for a while. We don't know how to deal with it properly. 
And, and what happens when we stew things for a long time? What do you think happens? And what happens if you boil some water and you forget that it's boiling? <laughs> you know, eventually it pops out. Actually, when I remember when I was a teenager, my mom was cooking some stew in one of those pressure cookers. And guess what happened? We forgot it was there and it just blew up and it was all over the ceiling, all over the walls. Our meal was everywhere except, <laughs> you know, it could become quite dangerous. And if we stew on those emotions for a long time, the inevitably eventually happens. You spew. So that's why we're talking about stewing and spewing. You know, one comes right after the other. Spewing begins also. Once you've been stewing something for a long time, the spewing surprises you. You don't even plan it. It's like the littlest thing will set you off all of a sudden. And some unfortunate person that didn't know that you were stewing all along will be the recipient of all that spewing. And they're like, man, you know, you're kind of reacting a little bit too much to that little thing that I did. And sometimes at that point, things that you may say or do may come regrettable because you just didn't learn how to manage the emotions that got you there. Any person or event can cause that boiling pot to all of a sudden explode. And you might, somebody might, you know, ask you, hey, how you doing? And you might be like, what do you want already? <laughs> Stop bothering me. Uh, why are you hounding me? Or maybe it's a little thing at work. What's wrong with the internet? And you bang the computer on your desk. Or what's up with the car, you know? Just the little, littlest of things. Or sometimes they happen while you're in traffic. And just a little thing happens, and all of a sudden you start spewing. And that may feel, that may make us feel a little empowered at the moment, doesn't it? You know, our ability to handle it aggressively or handle somebody aggressively or a situation may feel empowering at that moment, but it's not really the right way to think long term because it leads us down further a dark rabbit hole where we kind of make that the norm in our life then. How to deal with those emotions becomes the norm. And that really affects our thoughts, even our understanding of the world around us, because it makes us into very negative people, you know, negative situations. You know, I know what that's like. You're waiting for the other shoe to drop all of a sudden. You know, you're stewing, you're seething, uh, anger is unexpressed, it's just right there under that level, and you can't see it, but it's, it, it's there. And under, uh, on the heels of Robert's lesson last week, where he talked about the importance of learning to love mercy. I think it's important to understand how to have that perspective, how not to get caught up with that stewing and the spewing reactions that we control where we go or even our worldview, because there's a lot of things that can be contributing to even our worldview at the moment that can cause us to be very negative. It can cause us to be like, okay, what's the next thing to happen? You know, what's gonna happen next? And then you develop a bit of a bitter attitude, an antagonistic character where everything is a battle, uh, everything is negative. And that's a mindset that is going to really rob you of vision. It's going to rob you of wisdom. And it's going to rob you of being able to pick out from your life what are the opportunities that God is presenting before you as well. Robert talked about the importance of 
loving mercy. And in order to avoid falling into that spewing trap, into that stewing and spewing trap, the only way out of that is this ladder, this stairway that you see here. I'll call it the ladder of love, described in 1 Corinthians 13. And if you think of a stairway or a ladder, you know, stairs have steps, like you see here. Ladders have rungs, same idea. And each of those rungs or steps in the ladder is really one of the qualities of love. Uh, and the first step or the first rung, I think it's one of the most important ones that is going to really get us to step up on that ladder. And that is patience and kindness. Those two go together. You can't be kind unless you're patient. A patient person can learn to be a kind person. And I think it's one of the most difficult aspects of love to learn to develop because it doesn't happen accidentally. It really only happens deliberately. What can happen accidentally is the stewing and the spewing because that's the heart. The heart will get you into that default mindset and it will turn you into a negative person. But those who deliberately want to step up this ladder and climb the ladder, deliberately taking those steps, each one depends on the next one. If I don't want to envy, I need to learn to be patient and to be kind. And automatically, that'll take me to the ne next step. I won't be an envious person and so on and so forth. I'm not going to talk too much about the others. I'm really going to focus just on the first step because that's one of the most important ones that we make sure we need to make sure we're on there. It's a tough stairway to climb. And like any ladder or stairway, you know, it requires focus. Have you ever tried to climb a ladder distracted? That's pretty dangerous. Or a set of steps, you know, you can slip and end up at the bottom rung again. Uh, so we want to be very focused and we need to climb that ladder deliberately. If we don't climb the ladder, if we refuse even to take that first step, then we're deliberately going into that rabbit hole of darkness, that rabbit hole of bitterness, the spewing and the stewing. Signs of lacking in patience and kindness, which is that first rung on the letter, is really the spewing and the stewing cycle, or the stewing and the spewing uh, cycle. Those are signs that there is a bitterness embedded in there, that you've allowed some bitterness to take root in your heart by constantly focusing on that, like not really dealing with the emotion or maybe not knowing how to, but letting those emotions define you or letting uh, the atmosphere that you might be picking up by what you hear or what you see in others, if you're in bad company, defining that for you. Uh, and it's a state really of, of self-focus, isn't it? You know, you're kind of an inwardly turned and sometimes it can even lead you to having your own pity parties. A person who has their own pity party is a person who is spewing because they're stewing, because they've been stewing. They're seeing things very negatively and eventually they're like, oh, nobody cares about me. Or, I don't really care about them. And, and kind of having those conversations inside your head. And that's really the opposite of where God wants to get us going on that ladder of love, climbing those steps of love, which what leads to holiness. But if we're not climbing them, then that leads to bitterness. You're kind of like that person uh, that's typically described with a dark cloud over your head, or you're always wondering why you do bad things are always happening to me, or why am I always the unlucky one? You're only seeing inward, that's why. 
You only have eyes to your heart. And that's a dangerous condition to be in. You're not going to really be able to do with your life what God wants you to do with it. You're not going to have a sense of identity because you're so inwardly focused with these things. We all know what the Bible says about the heart, right? In Jeremiah 17, 9. It's a deceitful thing. It's desperately wicked and sick. And it can't really be what defines you. We need to get away from letting our emotions define who we are or how we think. We need to take control of that. And the only way to deliberately do that, if you have the Spirit of God, is to focus and put your mind on things above. And that ladder of love, right, there is a very physical uh, way to look and see how deliberately we need to take those steps and learn how to do that. Now you might say, well, I'm not really a bitter person. I'm not uh, bitter, but bitterness can show up in the most subtle of ways in your life. You might have an antagonistic attitude. That means that you're always in disagreement with others. You just like to disagree on whatever point it may be. That's what's called an antagonistic attitude. Uh, or it can be shown as a combative personality. You know, you're always fighting for this, fighting for that. You know, everything's always has to be your way. You don't know how to uh, conform or, or uh, surrender to somebody else's opinion. Uh, you become sarcastic. Uh, and eventually you stay in that state long enough and you kind of become numb to everything around you because honestly, your heart doesn't have the energy to deal with all that. And eventually you just become a numb person where, ah, whatever, I don't really care, whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, and this is really the symptom of uh, waiting for the other shoe to drop, or what we call the shrugged shoulders, you know, you're like, eh, whatever, <laughs> shoulders going up and down all the time. In sign language, this is the sign for, yeah, I don't care. I thank you, I don't care about it. You know? uh, it doesn't concern me. Uh, and that's kind of like the general air that you give off. But interestingly enough, though, even though that's how you may feel or that's how you may articulate that condition, it's really showing that you do care because you're, it shows in your sarcasm. It shows in how you're dealing with other people. You do care. It's just that you don't know how to deal with the emotions. You don't know how to channel them the right way. You're letting them lead you as opposed to reining them in and using them the way God would want you to use them. But to do that, you really need to learn to climb up the steps, the ladder of love. There is a way to turn this around, right? Impatient. To turn that around, all it takes is a little separation and apostrophe. But I'm patient. I'm no longer impatient. I'm patient. Just a slight addition, a slight change in your life, all it takes to learn to become patient. The first step of the ladder. First important step of the ladder. And I like the insight that the Hebrew author gives us on how if we are in that stewing and spewing mode, if we ever get into that, the author of Hebrews really shows us a practical, practical way of how to stay out of it and how to be influential in the right way, the way God's holy people should be. So let's take a look at that passage in Hebrews 12, 14, and 15. It says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it 
that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So I took these verses and I kind of made them into a table to help us understand the instructions given to us here through the Holy Spirit. So it really comes down to two different instructions or two different charges that were given here. The first one is to make every effort. And so in that first column, that first charge to make every effort is about my responsibility, what I need to do with myself. So then later, I can follow in the second part of the charge to see to it, which has to do with my relationship with others, to make sure grace is given, to make sure love is practiced. But in order to do that, I first need to make sure I am being responsible for how I deal with my emotions. It's basically a call to maturity. God willing, maybe next week or in a few weeks later, depending on what happens, I'm going to give you a few steps on how to make sure that we're maturing as people of God. And so we put childish ways behind ourselves. Sometimes people grow in physical age, but they don't grow in emotional age. They don't mature. And us as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit. We should be letting the Holy Spirit help us mature even quicker. It's always been my belief that if we're Christians and if we're uh, letting the Holy Spirit lead in our lives, that we're going to be way ahead of the world in terms of maturity because the Holy Spirit helps us mature quickly. So this first charge, make every effort, that's directed at the individual. I need to make sure that I'm making every effort, that I'm responsible, that I'm focused on myself. To make every effort, that's a deliberate command, isn't it? That means I have to have self-control. If I'm letting my heart lead me, I'm not, I can't make every effort, can I? You know, because my heart is making every effort to lead me down the wrong path or the wrong way of thinking. But here I need to make sure that I make every effort. It's not something that's going to happen by accident, but it's deliberate. To do what? To live in peace. A lot of people say they're not at peace. And when you ask them, well, why aren't you at peace? What do they usually point to? They point at everything outside of them. And that's a person that doesn't have perspective. They probably don't have the Holy Spirit. Because it's very easy to blame. I mean, right now, especially, right? You can number 100 things of why you don't feel at peace very easily. Can you? Anything from family to job to any kind of situation. That's, that's inward thinking. That's an inward focus. My happiness depends on other things outside of me. A person like that will never learn to be happy. And certainly will not learn to be at peace. But notice how this command is phrased. I have to make every effort to live in peace. Now that changes everything, doesn't it? Because now through Jesus, I understand that I can be in control of the peace that I have. After all, didn't Jesus say, my peace I give you. And I give you peace unlike the world. So it's not a peace like the world. Some people think that to live in peace means to avoid situations. Sometimes that's how we think we need to live in peace. Oh, there's trouble over there. I'm going to avoid it. I'm the first one who doesn't like confrontations. But I've learned throughout the years that if some situation needs peace, 
I need to learn how to bring peace. There's a peace that has been given to me that not just affects me, but that I can bring it to a situation and let it sit there. Now, if the situation doesn't like my peace, then what did Jesus tell the 72 that he sent out? I grab my peace back and I take, I don't let anybody take it. I bring it back and I say, okay, see you later. And I go. But that's that kind of a peace. I'm in control of the situation. I'm a peacemaker and it doesn't involve avoiding arguments or avoiding confrontations, just like life isn't lived by dodging situations that you may not like. No, uh, our confrontations are the hardest way to bring peace. But only somebody who is really stepping up that ladder of love and knows what each of those steps involve can surely bring peace to a situation where there is trouble. If you're combative or argumentative, if you're in that stewing and spewing mode, you're the one not bringing peace. <laughs> you're the one bringing discord. And that is contrary to what this verse is calling us to do. It also says to be holy. Live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Now this speaks, I mean, thank God, like Lottie shared with us, there is a righteousness that we have that we obtain from the gospel. That is not our own righteousness, praise be to God. But now that we are in Christ, we want to live like people who are worthy of this kind of salvation. And that's where this holiness comes in play. We want to be people that can bring now this peace that is unknown to the world from Christ. But we're going to bring it about in a very different way the world might be used to. And we need to be people who are holy in order to do that. No one becomes holy by accident. By accident, uh, you may sin, although most of the times we are deliberate with that. But holiness is something that is imparted to us by Christ, by his righteousness. And once we're in Christ, we continue to pursue this holiness by making sure that we walk in love, walking in step with the spirit, walking in the light as 1 John 1.7 says, as he is in the light. What does that mean? Transparent. Love is transparent. Loving one another genuinely. God is love. And if we are God's children, we will also identify with love. And that's, that mindset is really what's going to move us away from this dark cloud that seems to be hanging around us at the time where there's a lot of prejudice, a lot of prejudging, a lot of just outright judging and oppositions and polarizations. The world doesn't know how to deal with that, honestly, because they don't, they're not deliberately taking those steps of the stairway of love because it requires a different mindset. You really need to be able to take your mind and put it on the things of the spirit, like Paul says in Romans chapter eight. Somebody who's not a Christian is not able to do that. They're, they only have one mind. They can't say, okay, I'm going to put my mind on the spirit. You have to know the spirit in order to put your mind on the spirit. And that takes you away now from giving in to the desires of the flesh. Paul explains that all perfectly in Romans chapter 8, how to make sure that we're not taken in by that influence of the heart. There's something that God told Cain about this too, back in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 through 7, because Cain apparently, you know, there was something bugging him. You know, he had a beef. He had an issue. He was stewing, apparently. 
there was some there was a thorn on his side. All the things that I described to you before. This my man Cain here was experiencing them at that moment. And what did that do to his face? What did that do to his countenance? You can kind of tell when somebody is in that dark mood just by looking at their face, just by looking at their eyes. And here God says to Cain, why are you so angry? Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Give me, what are the reasons that this is happening to you? And of course, God knew why, and that's why he tells Cain, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? And I underline that word accepted there because that's an important word. Most of the times what makes us get into this stewing and spewing mode is not feeling accepted. For some reason, we think somebody is ostracizing us or looking at us in a different way or judging us in some way or another. And I tell you, 90% of the time, it's all in your imagination. You know, because we tend to kind of guess and uh, pre prejudge what other people may be thinking about us. And now uh, you take that to social media, you multiply it by a hundred times there, <laughs> and you get, you sometimes may think that I'm not being accepted. Or maybe it's just that you don't feel accepted for some reason. You are trusting your heart, even though everybody is very accepting of you and wants to accept you. For some reason, your heart says, no, that's a lie. No, I don't feel like I belong. I've run, run into that so many times. I don't feel like I belong here. I don't feel like I'm a part of this. But again, what's the operative word there? Feel. The heart. Can you trust that? Can you, uh, can, would you let yourself make decisions based on that feeling? Cain did. He let himself feel that way. And what happened? He didn't feel accepted. And God said, look, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. I believe sometimes, not sometimes, but most of the time, that's still the mechanism that is that can lead us astray. We don't feel accepted. We don't feel a certain way like we would like to feel. And that somehow kind of gives us an excuse to not do the right thing. They go kind of hand in hand most of the time. Oh, I just feel so bad or I feel disconcerted or I feel like I'm not being accepted. I feel like I'm not being treated the way I want to be treated. And right away then, that gives you the excuse to give in to sin because you're not feeling that way. So I'm going to please myself the way I may know how to please myself by sinning. And what happens? There's the sin crouching at the door, waiting to pounce on you and to get you. And once it grabs a hold of you and drags you down in that kind of mentality, it will get harder for you to try and get out of that using the ladder of love. It's still there. It's still available. Cain could have done it. God talked to him and said, you know, why don't you do it? Cain was too stubborn at the moment. Maybe he was too sarcastic. Maybe he was just too antagonistic. Maybe he had stewed in this mindset for so long that he just didn't even see how to do it when God was right there with him. Someone else that happened to was Judas. You know, Judas could have done something different, couldn't he? He could have done something different, but he did not. Don't be like Cain. Don't be like Judas. There is a way out. And God is telling you, do the right thing. You will be accepted. That's God's invitation. 
you're accepted. Even when we weren't doing the right thing, right? Jesus stepped in and did the right thing for us. Wow. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm put to shame by similar situations like at work. I remember when I was a teacher, um, I didn't know what to do. I was just brand new at this. So there were other more professional teachers that knew the right thing to do. So I could have been smart and said, that's the right thing to do. Let me do that and follow through on the example that they're showing me and come out on top. Or be proud and arrogant and say, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do my own thing and find myself not having a job. Thankfully, I was a little more mature, and that's how I learned how to do good things. We've got a lot of examples. Jesus set the tone for us by stepping in and doing the right thing. Matter of fact, when he got baptized, and John says, no, you're the one who's supposed to be baptizing me. I don't have to baptize you, but what did Jesus say? No, we must do this to fulfill all righteousness. This is the right Example, the right thing to do. And so that and all the other footsteps that Jesus has taken on our behalf now are that pathway for us, which really are what? The steps of the ladder of love. And so that's the way as we climb that step, those stairs, to make sure that we live in peace, make sure we're self-controlled, able to live in peace, able to be holy, because the more steps that we're taking in that direction, the more we are becoming like God, less conforming to the world, more conforming to Christ. And so we will be able now to fulfill the second charge in the passage, which is the see to it. Now, I can't see to it. I can't have that vision. See to it involves perceiving something, right? I can't see to it unless I first made every effort to be right. I won't be able to help other people see the grace of God. That's the charge here. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. If people miss out on the grace of God, if they fail to understand the grace of God, that's a big cause of bitterness. Do you remember the man in the parable of the talents that judged God, the third guy? He was given one talent. And he decided to bury it in the ground. He didn't have the attitude the first two had, did he? He had a different attitude. He, he kind of judged God. He judged God as not being graceful, didn't he? He judged God as being exacting and not knowing what he was doing. Did he miss out on the grace of God? I would say so. I mean, he acted like it, didn't he? People who miss out on the grace of God, what does this verse say? There's bitterness. That grows up in their heart. So we need to be careful not to get into that form of thinking either and not be like that servant that judged God and ended up with nothing at the end. I mean, what does it make sense to end up in that position? Or to take advantage of the grace of God. That's a beautiful picture Lottie shared with us in the lesson. That's us right there at the end finally saying, Wow, <laughs> it was well worth it, wasn't it? The short life, putting up with thorns, putting up with all these things. For that eternity of peace and no fear. Love, fully knowing, 
as we are fully known by God, as Paul says, now we look in a mirror dimly lit, but then we shall see face to face. Yeah, there's a lot of things that we still see dimly lit here, which is why we need to walk by faith and have hope, not missing out on the grace of God, making sure that we are giving grace. And Robert shared a, a parable that illustrated this perfectly. You know, the unmerciful servant. People who miss out on the grace of God won't miss out on getting grace. <laughs> they won't miss out on that. They want their grace. Like the servant said, oh, have mercy on me and I'll pay you back. And like Robert said, you can't pay it back. What are you talking about? <laughs> but they gladly accepted the grace. But then what happened when it was time for them to show it? That's when it failed. They missed out. So somebody can understand it enough to want to receive it. But when it comes time to show it, that's the litmus test. If you really got the grace of God. Because the grace of God, those who really receive it, readily make it available to everyone else. That's the grace that counts. And that's part of what this is. We want to see to it that no one misses out on this. That if there is somebody in our number that is doing, ready to spew, They're, they've turned inward, that we're there to help them, to assist them see that God's grace is with them. And the way that we show that is that we need to be actively climbing those steps of love because we are the beacons of that grace. We illustrate it by how we interact with them. I remember, sometimes it's hard to do this. It's not easy. It involves often confrontations that we would rather not have. <laughs> uh, there was this story of uh, uh, some brothers shared with me uh, where the elder, you know, he was in his house, he was having a dinner, and uh, one of his sons invited another friend, and the friend was there at the dinner, and the friend in front of everybody said, oh, I don't really like this meal. <laughs> and everybody was like, uh. <laughs> so the young son kind of took his friend to the side and gently let them know what a graceful situation it was. And that that wasn't really the right way to show gratitude. So out of that intimate, private correction, when the person really had done it publicly, that person learned some grace because it was handled in a graceful way. See, grace is not afraid of confronting sin, but it knows how to do it with grace, gracefully, making sure the person understands the grace of God, right? So that they can have a chance to experience the grace and change their behavior. Real grace, when we receive it, changes our behavior, doesn't it? It didn't change the unmerciful servant, which was part of his problem. It didn't change Cain, right? He was afraid God was going to punish him. Oh, don't punish me. But he wasn't man enough to let the grace change him. He stayed a child. The unmerciful servant wasn't man enough to let the grace change him to a better person. He stayed a child. So what I'm telling you is that we need to learn to grow up in the spirit. 
and be people who can see to it and learn to take care of the next generation. Let them see that there is grace here for everybody and that it doesn't end. It's a never-ending grace. And that's what this passage is about. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Real grace, when you have real grace in your life and you know it's the grace of God being shown, it makes you confident. Even though, yes, we know we don't belong in that multitude, even though we know what we are, but at the same time, God is reminding us that we're, as we walk in the light, we have fellowship with each other, or we're cleansed continuously. I mean, that's a grace that gives you the boldness to approach God and ask Him because you believe that He is good and that He will reward you if you earnestly seek Him. Because we need to receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. We approach God's throne of grace to find more grace because we're all going to need it at one point in time. So how do we prevent getting into that danger zone of letting bitterness grow in our heart? Start stepping up the ladder. Stepping up the ladder of love, learning to be patient, learning to be kind, just as Jesus was patient and kind with us. He is, the, he is the one who emulates true love, all the steps of this ladder for us. He interceded for us. He set the stage for us so that we would not fall into the unmerciful servants scenario and not recognize grace and allow bitterness to take root. And what that verse in Hebrew said is that once bitterness takes root, you know what you become instead of becoming a person brings peace you bring defilement you defile many that's like a you know like the sayings that we say one rotten apple spoils the whole barrel that can happen that has happened in many groups and so we're that's why we're charged to you know make every effort when it comes to us so that we can see to it that God's grace is received with everybody in our number. Proverbs 16 verse 32 says, better a patient person than a warrior. Sometimes we want to be a warrior. Ah, you know, I'm angry. Why? Trying to take control of a situation. But a more mature person, a real man, is first a patient man. Better than a warrior. One with self-control than one who takes a city. And this is eventually how we overcome evil with good. There's a lot of evil surrounding us. We don't want to become part and parcel with it like Cain. We don't want to turn downcast. We don't want to let anger be what defines us. We, want to, we don't want to let stewing define us. Negative emotions define us. That's what the forces of evil are intent on doing. Trying to overcome you, but we have overcome, as John says, and as we sing, overcoming evil with good, which is what Jesus did on the cross for us. All manner of evil was against him. He even let evil win, it seemed like evil won at one point in time because he was there on the cross. It looks like evil won. He died. 
I mean, that's pretty upsetting. We're supposed to win. It's not supposed to happen. Even the disciples lost heart because they thought, oh, the hope of Israel. We thought he was the hope of Israel, but we were wrong, I guess. But see, God has a way of turning everything around just when you think nothing can be turned around. He has a way of saving and turning around your whole story if you believe. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He turned it around and left us with the greatest cliffhanger ever. The empty tomb. The empty grave is the cliffhanger in God's story. The part of the story that we're still looking at. The only part we can still see. But the Hebrew author also says that those of us who have Christ, we're able to see Jesus too. Even not, though not physically just yet. As Peter says, even though we don't see him, we love him. But the Hebrew author says, we see Jesus by faith. Why? Because we can't see him here. Because we can't see him physically. We see him with the eyes of faith where he's at. And that's our motivation to not allow ourselves to be led by a wicked and deceitful heart. That first step of obedience starts with saying no to the flesh, having a desire to put aside the deeds of the flesh. I don't want this to define me anymore. I know there is more to it than what my uh, selfish, uh, one-track mind heart may be telling me. There's more to life than that. But the only way I'm going to be able to see it is if I put my life away and I trust God to give me a new one. Isn't that what Jesus did on the cross? He died and was rose again to newness. And that's what stands to this day as our promise, that there is newness. And newness can be occurring right now in each of us that have taken hold of that promise. So leave the dark clouds behind. We only live in a dark heart. And decide from this moment on that you want to be defined by love, specifically by the love of God, not by your tiny wicked heart. That's not the way to live. God bless you. Have a good day. Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.